Today, we are talking about Sober Curious. I'm Britt, he's Chaz, and this is The Furious Curious. In the midst of the minute hour, you said to me, Today we have the creative director of LinkedIn Creative Studio and the co-founder of Batera, a beverage company that touts a refreshingly bitter, non-alcoholic drink you can enjoy anytime, anywhere. Uh, and we'll get into that. Aaron Sanchez, welcome to the Furious Curious. Thanks for being on. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, man. Thanks. It's great to have you. And <laughs> where where you find the time to run a business and to work at LinkedIn is beyond me, but uh, you're here, you have time to speak with us, and we, we really appreciate that. So so for Chaz and I, we've, been, we've had this idea of talking about Sober Curious for a while because it's been on our radar, and I'm glad you're coming in to talk about it because you have experience with it. We were, we were kind of outsiders looking into it to a certain extent. Um, we'll get into more of that in a little bit, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, they've heard the term, maybe they don't know what it is. Maybe they don't know what it isn't. That's I think also as important. Um, so it might be useful for us to define that. And then, you know, hopefully at some point, you know, we'll have an idea of what's useful and actionable for our listeners and demystify a couple things. Maybe some, maybe we'll push against some biases or some, some things that aren't necessarily true. Um, so we understand it as being sober curious means questioning uh, everything about your relationship with alcohol, including, you know, the way, um, that we as a society view it and consume it. Can you, can you maybe fill in the gaps? Tell us more about that, Aaron? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that just to <clears throat> go back to kind of your intro of me, of yeah. kind of running a business while also working right. uh, a job, there are a couple other partners in the business, uh, and, and co-founders along with me, Paul, uh, Eshbar and Nick Benz. And, I think to answer your question, I kind of a good place to go would be to kind of go to all three of ours relationship with alcohol. And yeah. it's different for each of us. And I think what that what that shows is that there's kind of a spectrum right now of mm. sobriety. And mm -hmm. so I think for a very long time that sobriety was kind of this black and white thing, right? And if you were drinking O'Doul's, you were likely an alcoholic. And what we have seen just in kind of working on Batera over these last couple of years and what we've experienced ourselves is kind of the spectrum. And so, uh, while the definition really opens up this idea that you're kind of considering it and thinking about it, I think living a sober, curious lifestyle is, is recognizing that there's not necessarily a black and white, mm -hmm. but that you're, you're being mindful about what you're drinking and how much you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's good because I think sober for a lot of people has some strong connotations, right? It has this kind of mm -hmm. kind of uh, dichotomy. It's either you're drinking or you're not drinking. It's this kind of abstinence-based, you know, it's used a lot in recovery programs, recovery from alcohol. So somebody says, I'm sober, typically the baked-in assumption, and I say assumption, is that, oh, they were drinking before, they couldn't really handle drinking, they had to get sober. But what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing from you is there's a much more nuance, much more of a spectrum to, to, to that assumption. Yeah and, yeah. and I think one of the, one of the things that we should establish pretty quickly here is that yeah. for some people that spectrum is, is just not a reality, right? They need right. to be 100% sober. Yep. And, um, and we absolutely recognize that with, within our, our business and our relationship with our customers that there there's not this um that it is a binary thing mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um sobriety is is something that i think people um who uh may have a relationship with alcohol where they can return to it or they can kind of re-examine it um from time to time is kind of that is that thing where the definition is i think kind of changing and that's where sober curious kind of can become a catch-all for that kind of in-between ground 
Mm-hmm. A word that you mentioned just a second ago, Aaron, was uh, mindful. Um, and it, it seems to have been popping up a bit as I come across a range of different articles. I read one in the Sydney Morning Herald earlier. The sober yeah. curiosity is this sort of growing, I guess, enlightenment or, or mindfulness around our approach to article, alcohol. It's not this binary, as you described. It's um, There was a scenario where someone who works in advertising um, before they go out, they decide, oh, you know what, I'm having two. Um, mm. it, it's a choice that I've had to make to have two glasses and sticking to it. So in the past, it was just sort of like a free-for-all. Oh, yeah, we'll see where the night takes me. Do you think that that sort of, I guess, more enlightened, deliberate, considered worldview, that's where the sort of that's where the money is, for lack of a better word. Like that, that's where the sort of growth industry is. It's not about this, con, you know, continued binary. It's around, oh, we need to create a cultural awakening around a more mindful approach to booze. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really good question. I, you know, one of the things that we're doing at Batera is is kind of is is promoting this idea of of mindful drinking for a specific reason, and that's that, you know. For for a lot of people, one drink can easily turn into three or four. Right. But what that also means is that 200 calories from an IPA can easily turn into 800 calories if you have that fourth. Mm-hmm. And so, mindful drinking, a mindful approach to drinking, is another way to kind of consider how many calories you're consuming or how much sugar you're consuming. There's a ton of sugar in wine, and the more we consume, with with kind of just kind of topping off that glass, you're not really being considerate. Um, about the calorie intake like you might be with food that you eat throughout the day. And so, you know, it's interesting that you go back to this idea of like, when I go out with my friends, I'll only have this many drinks. And that could be for many reasons. And one of the things that we're talking about right now is those calories. But again, it could be for a lot of different things. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, and I, I do resonate and recognize the, you know, for some just alcohol is not it's not a, it's not a question of reduction. It's a question of abstaining. And, you know, I know a lot of people, I've got a lot of family members and friends who, who just have decided that they have to omit that altogether in their, in their life. And, um, I think what's been great is I think the stigma of that is going away finally. And I, people are respecting that it doesn't have to be some, you know, they can talk about it if they want, it can be anonymous if they want. And I think that's, that's really cool. But I think hearing, hearing this, you know, we're here, we're here to talk about it. We're not here to, of course, moralize or judge drinking or anything like that. But what's really kind of cool to me is you don't have to be this back to that binary thing that, you know, a fall down drunk, you still may be sick of being foggy the next day or feeling a little off. And you may struggle with habits. Habits can slip. Habits can glide. It's a broader idea of mindful consumption and being more mindful about our health, being more mindful about what we're putting in our bodies, whether that's for the alcohol reason, for the calorie reason. That all makes a lot of sense to me. My question then would be, how how do people navigate? Like, what is what has been the experience about, like, people navigating the social situation. Cause there's a whole, sh- there's a whole Aaron, that seems to be, there's a whole, there's a whole social dynamic to this as well. There is the, and I, and I'm speaking from actual experience here. Like I am, I decided this past year to not drink. So I'm 10 months in and just as an experiment and there's the, Oh, I'm stressed. You know, a nightcap would be nice, but then there's the whole just navigating the social situations, which can be kind of a loaded thing for other people. How have you, um, what's been your experience with, with that, whether talking with friends, talking with colleagues, what has that been experienced? What has that experience been for you in yeah, terms of just navigating social situations? Yeah. Right. It's, and congrats on kind of, um, your extended stretch of, of, you know, kind of taking a break and. You know, it's it's really to be commended if that's you know, especially if that's a goal that you have and you're sticking with it. That's that's awesome. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's you know, I think for me, it's it's really been an interesting year with the pandemic. I've really taken a, a big step back from drinking, and that hasn't been as hard because I've been home most of the time, right? Right. And I think, and I, I suspect, you know, you're kind of experiencing that as well. But when you get out in those social situations, I think a lot of you know, and, and I'll just speak about myself as opposed to kind of, um, context, you know, being general. But sure. for me, um, 
and I think, you know, there tends to be a worry that like, if I'm going to be sober on a night out or for a dinner, it's going to be a little bit more boring, or I need that social lubricant to add to that conversation. And um, in all honesty, that that's a that can be kind of a fair thought. Um, You know, Research has shown that um, people do open up a little bit more, and and alcohol does release endorphins, right? And so, mm-hmm. endorphins are these, you know, pleasure centers, right? And they 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 increase the, you know, in in some situations and with moderation, it can increase those. And so, there's this assumption that it might be boring or might be not as much fun. I think one of the things that I've really noticed is that my presence is much better in mm. situations, and I'm. It's it's easier for me to kind of listen and 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 kind of really give people who I'm around the attention that that um, situation deserves. And if the pandemic has taught us, you know, it's taught us many things. But for me, that that time with my friends and my family is is so mm-hmm. important. And that presence that I can offer them in those times and moments um, is amazing. I've also, you know, to be honest, you know, I've taken kind of these slow moves away from alcohol over the last two, three years, in part because of this project, but also because I found myself getting to a place where I was drinking a little much on, Mm -hmm. on work trips and, Mm -hmm. you know, working in the advertising industry, we spend a lot of time on the road. We spend a lot of time at work dinners. And I think that, um, in business and work settings, that's really the last place where you want to be drinking too much. (laughs) Um, and, it's it's i think it happens to a lot of us and it's one of those things to where being present and being mindful on a work dinner or work uh, trip is is a good thing and it's it's not a bad thing to kind of have um that ability to kind of lock in with the people who you're sharing a table with or you're sharing a night out with because uh you're there to get work done ultimately and and drinking too much in those occasions can be tough i've also found uh and interested to hear your experience to Britain um, with this, but uh, you know, I going to a show or going to a concert or going out and seeing something, mm-hmm. if I'm not drinking, I'm so much more locked in on that experience. Like some mm-hmm. of my best concert experiences have been when I've been completely sober and I can remember that experience and I can kind of walk away having just been a part of that fully. Um, and so those are things that, are really important and and that I value as I kind of re-examine my relationship with alcohol. I resonate with a lot of that, Aaron. I think one of the things that cued me to to stop for uh, for a time being was actually the pandemic kind of accelerated some bad habits, and so that it brought some of my bad habits to the forefront. And I think whether it was dealing with stress, whether it was, I think laying the groundwork for, you know, working at agencies that had open bars and free drinks, you know, to your delight, that kind of normalization was kind of a slow burn. And then as we got to the pandemic and we were working from home, I was still like dealing with stress in a way that was not healthy. And I think for me, it was a the groundbreaking thing. The pivot for me was, okay, how can I deal with stress in a healthier way um, mm-hmm. that doesn't involve uh, a nightcap? How can I fall asleep and actually get better sleep and not need a nightcap or something like that to really grease that axle to to slumberland, so to speak? Um, <laughs> but yeah. I think also to, to, the, your, to your point about presence, um, yes, maybe in the moment of drinking, I would be a little bit more fun or whatever, but over time, actually I was trading a small moment of something that was maybe true or not true for something certainly was true later, which was being foggier, not being sharper, not being present, not being funny, not being entertaining, all the things that we're supposed to do, depending on who we're with. I could tell I didn't have my edge. And as I got older and the more demands are piled upon us as as creative directors, et cetera, directors, you know, I need that edge to keep, to stay right, to stay real, to stay good and to stay, you know, like you said, when, when we're among um, counterparts and, and clients and colleagues or whatever, being present, being, having your wits about you, so to speak, is actually the most important place where you need it. So I totally resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that like going to a movie or going to a concert, I just start, I started to not 
want to drink because for that reason, I just felt like it was just, there was like, it was like too many things at the same time. And I just would rather focus on one thing. And I was starting to enjoy, I remember just being so energized by concerts. Part of it was because I hate spending, you know, $16 on a drink. There's that, <laughs> there's that too. Right? Um, right. But I had, I found, I was like, Oh, I'm just going to save some money tonight. And guess what? I remember that concert a lot better and I left more energized and more conscious, more high, not hyped up creatively than maybe I would have if I would have kind of malaised myself with it with a couple drinks. So I totally resonate with that. Just, um, I had a question um, earlier, Aaron, you sent that article, the, Atl- the Atlantic article, uh, America has a drinking problem. I was talking to Brit a little earlier today. Um, Bill Maher, you know, the comedian on HBO, he had, you know, he has a he always has a finishing monologue, and he he talked. This was maybe a month ago, so around about I don't know what came first, that, that or, or this article. But it talks about how this anxiety epidemic that we live in, and, and sort of yeah. perhaps a, a loneliness crisis, a mental health crisis, whichever one, however one wants to define these crises. It seems like there are a lot of uh, stressors that are in enabling people to, or perhaps encur- not encouraging, um, inspiring people to drink for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it talked about, you know, prohibition back in the day, obviously at com- total abstinence, but now the, the pendulum swung the complete opposite way. He talks about scenarios where in this article where now you can get a beer at the zoo, you can get beer and wine at the zoo, you can get it while you're shopping. There's a range of different ways. Do, do we think that... It's encroached upon so many other elements of our life that we're at a tipping point where, like, we're kind of too much is too much. Like, we need to start pushing back against this. Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, <clears throat> with this project, this Batera project, you know, that the, the co founders and I, Nick and Paul, we're often sending each other these articles that support kind of our efforts. And it's like when you buy a car, right? And then you keep seeing the same model everywhere. And sometimes I wonder if it's that that's what's happening in, in this space, right? That because I'm a part of it, I'm just noticing more of these conversations. But I honestly don't know if that's the case because, it, you know, it's pretty often now that we'll send each other a piece from the New York Times or this Atlantic piece was just this incredible dive into kind of our drinking culture. And I think that it, people are really starting to come around to this idea that we've we've really been casual with our relationship with alcohol and that casual relationship has grown to become perhaps something that's um more concerning you know that we you know i'm I'm 41 right now and when i think we all remember a time when you'd hear like kind of the glass of red wine every night is is good for you and and other other articles that Please were similar to that. Please don't tell me it's no. <laughs> the, Fre- the French, the, yeah, the French, you know, the French studies of you know why the French are live long and came from that. So yeah, they walk right, right. But anyway, right. sorry. Yeah. yeah, and I think what and um, by no means an expert in this area, but I think what's happened is that you're starting to see more news and more studies around um, the fact that one alcohol is a carcinogen and right. carcinogens carcinogens are what cause cancer right like that's that's the 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 damage to the dna and the tissue that causes cancer and also with that um you're seeing a lot of um these other really adverse side effects to drinking and um i do think that we're kind of at this moment where we're you know going back to your question about mindfulness Chaz, like this idea of mindfulness and kind of or mindful drinking rather and and consuming kind of that certain amount or desired amount or or concern consuming only in moments when you're with other people or it's just saturday night and you're only gonna have two drinks or something like that i i suspect that we'll start to see more and more of that as people consider their relationship with alcohol one thing that's really interesting that we've heard in the space and uh, it kind of makes a little bit of sense is that kind of the younger generations are drinking less and Mm -hmm. they're doing so in part because um, they're living their lives online and they don't want to be looking like a fool in social media, which Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Cause if I think about if, if, if social was around when I was in college, be be kind of problematic. Um, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So I, I, I I do. And and I think that's just kind of, uh, a a reason they're drinking less not the reason but um it is an interesting time and uh 
we've also seen kind of being in the industry of kind of uh, alcohol replacements um, that the sales are going up. And so it's it's not really just, just a conversation happening around it. Um, the sales of, uh, you know, like whether it's non-alcoholic beer or alcohol-removed wine or non-alcoholic spirits or something like Patera that's meant to replace a cocktail, the sales are increasing and there's more activity in this space. So there's an audience for it for sure. Uh, I have... Like as a foreigner, the only foreigner on this call, something like, you know, I moved, I first came to the US, early 20s and went back home, came back. But one thing that always stayed with me as the number one culture shock was the relationship with alcohol in this country versus where I'm from. And Australia has a very problematic drinking culture also. So absolutely not throwing stones here. It's just... I remember in time, I'm sure times have changed now, but when I was sort of 15, I would sort of sneak into pubs and nightclubs and what have you, uh, you know, occasionally. Not, it's not like I did it all the time. <laughs> but once you were in, and say it was a slow, it was a Tuesday night, wherever, once you get in and you go, I do not want to be drawing any attention to myself. So you get your oldest looking friend, buy a pitcher or a jug, as they call it in Australia, or a pint, and then you'll sit off in the corner and you'll sip it quietly. So, th- you know, it, it was sort of more of a forced uh, measuredness, if that makes sense, in ha- how we consume alcohol versus the drinking age being 21 in this country and not having any chance of getting into a bar. As a result, drinking then was behind closed doors. So people aren't having a, you know, a mid-strength pint of beer in a, in a pub where they're trying to behave themselves. They're having shots before they, you know, in the dorm room before or, or the, you know, in the someone's backyard before they go to the barn dance or whatever else. It just seems like the prohibitive nature of that limiting people from drinking at a certain age encourages or enables a bunch of bad behaviors because there's almost this sort of realization prevention is never going to be absolute and people are going to experiment with alcohol as they get older so having this absolute like zero-sum game lockdown no one can do it doesn't that encourage a bunch of these bad behaviors which precipitates perhaps more of a an unhealthy relationship as it relates to binge drinking going forward. I mean, sorry, I've painted a very, you know, very colourful and un- unhealthy picture there. But would you say do you say there's any truth in that, or I'm just making that up? Yeah, interested in Bryn's thoughts on this too. But I, I think there's there's definitely something to it. I I spent my junior year abroad, and I specifically remember this moment in Germany. We were at the Hofbra House, and it was the it was early in the day. We were there on like a train layover, and and this dad had taken his son to grab a bite, and the son had a half a pint, and the son couldn't have been younger than he could have been older rather than eight years old. Yeah, mm. and um, the the European drinking culture, and this is a, that, that Atlantic article was just so great, and that there was a line in that article that I remember that was um, in Italy they drink as a part of a meal as opposed to a drug. And yeah. mm-hmm. I, um, I think that there's there's whether it's through prohibition or perhaps our religious uh, puritanical kind of culture, I think the um, you know generally you don't see American families raising their kids with alcohol at the table. Yeah, and so I think there's a few things that that play into that. Um, and and you know. I read a line from a writer in this space named Julia Bainbridge, and she's one of just the most incredible voices for kind of the um, the movement to sobriety or movement away from alcohol or alcohol replacement. Julia Bainbridge is just this amazing writer in the space. Wrote about how we've created a relationship with alcohol this um, over the an extended period of time. And so the way that we drink now is much different as, as I'll speak for myself as a 41 year old is much different than I drank when I was 20 or 21. And that relationship has grown and evolved. And so for, you know, to start though, with that foundation and that base, um, it's, it would be interesting to kind of chart how people have grown and evolved from that. But Britain what like, you know, when you made that decision to kind of take a step back, um, you talked about kind of seeing your relationship get to that point and realizing that you needed to do that. What was, how did you find those first few days of kind of reevaluating that relationship that had grown and evolved over so much time? You mean the first few days after I just decided to stop? Yeah. Like the first few days of sobriety. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've done it in the past 
years ago where I would just take maybe a break here or there. But it, I think what it made me realize those first few days, it was just not having a, uh, a nightcap to kind of, to kind of conclude the day, not doing that was odd. And so I had normalized using alcohol as a relaxant, as a de-stressor. And that normalization, you know, wasn't necessarily a thing where I would be shaking with withdrawals or anything like that, thankfully. But I did notice this kind of, those first few days was a very conscious omission of it. It it didn't feel, I I didn't have, I had a space there that I hadn't filled with something else yet. And over time, it got a lot more normal, you know, like the first few days I thought about, oh, I was actively thinking about, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. And then over time that became the normal thing like it is now. If I decide to have it sparingly again, then when I do have it, that's the new thing. That's the thing that's kind of uh, a novelty here or there instead of not drinking being the novelty. So it felt like a novelty back, you know, early, early on. And it just took, it just took a while for that kind of pendulum to swing back the other way where my homeostasis is to not have a nightcap, um, not use alcohol as a de-stressor. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I got an interesting question because uh, like, oh, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back here, but you, you get the gist. So we talked about, uh, you know, I guess doing it mindlessly, drinking mindlessly, and that that's not optimal. We talked about sort of a work environment where, it's not optimal to be having one too many because, uh, you know, there are some, some severe consequences if you, you know, say the wrong thing or whatever, you know, you can put your foot in your mouth. It can be a bad situation. What about scenarios where you are, you're, you're there, but you're almost, you're not, you're not there willingly. Like you're doing it out of obligation. For example, I, I did um, uh, dry January a couple of, couple of uh, years ago and I remember going along and, it was uh, catching up with a uh, basically a, a work related meeting, and I was doing dry January, and and I was like, "Geez, <laughs> I really need a beer badly." So, how, I mean, what do you deal in scenario? How how do you deal in a scenario where you're there out of obligation? You don't you don't really want to be there, but you also don't want to cave by having a drink. What, do you have? What's, do you have a solve? What's that line, really quick? I I drink to make you more interesting. Is that that's the meme, right? <laughs> I, I, right. I definitely needed yeah. one of those. That anyway, I, I interrupted your question. No, no, but that okay. that was it though. I, I'm, yeah. If we're in a tight spot where we actually we, we're sort of yearning for that social lubrication, but it's not forthcoming, uh, or we're not allowing ourselves to get it, what's our substitute? What's our hack around that uh, sober curious situation? Yeah, I want Britain's response to this too. <laughs> um, I, so yeah, yeah good. Honest, yeah. So I think that you know one of the things that I've found is that. Um, the presence, right? That idea that I'm that I'm a little bit more present, and that I'm I'm kind of, you know, I have found kind of to to Britain's comment about kind of just there's that that it's it's sometimes it's not necessarily the alcohol, but it's the idea that I have something in my hand that I can sip on, right? Yeah. And so, um, in a situation where I early on and kind of really trying to take a step back from drinking. I would think about it a lot more. It would kind of be in the back of my mind. Like when everybody got a drink, I would be the person ordering a bitters and soda or, or you know, a non-alcoholic beer. And it would be, I would be wondering what people thought about it a little bit more. And as time went on, I think I became less concerned about that because the comfort level with feeling that way and being in that moment a little bit better um, outweighed kind of the, the um, discomfort. And, you know, I, oftentimes I think alcohol is used as a crutch to kind of prop us up in those moments. And um, if, you, if you take a step back, I think many life moments can be, you know, challenging or difficult, but um, relying on a substance to get you through those may be a situation where it's like you kind of want to consider if, if that's necessary. Yeah. And I only say that, and, and honestly... The reason I wanted Britain's response too is again, like I've had in the last since January one of this year, I've drank on twenty seven nights, um, and generally those nights have been nights out with other people. 
Mm-hmm. And so my relationship with alcohol at the house has kind of been completely cut off, but I'm still kind of having a drink or two or more on a couple nights this year when I go out with friends. And so I'm not putting myself into a lot of social situations yet where I'm totally sober, if I'm absolutely honest about it. Um, so Britton, how have you found those? I, so I've, I've, that was the big anxiety producing thing for me was not being in a social situation where I wasn't drinking. I don't have that kind of social anxiety, but I do have anxiety about how to handle not drinking (laughs) in a social situation. Uh, if that makes any sense. So it was about how am I going to do this without this being a thing with that? You know, I'm from, I'm from Wisconsin where, I would say the normalization of drinking is even more of uh, the normalization of heavy drinking of, of binge drinking even is normal is normal. You can get, you can be crap canned drunk. Nobody's going to judge. And that's Typ- fine. Typical flatlanders. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, I've, I've had a couple occasions already this year where, okay, how am I going to handle this family situation or that family situation or this friend situation where people are going to be drinking and I'm not going to be drinking? Is that going to become a thing? How do I handle that in ways that I can kind of maybe kind of jujitsu that and and make it not a thing? And I just found like, I was just, you know, delaying it being like, ah, maybe later, you know, I wasn't like, well, I'm not drinking going on to this whole thing. I was just like, yeah, maybe, maybe later. I don't know. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. I'm not feeling it or whatever, you know, something small. It never had to be an ultimate thing. It just had to be a thing right now. I'm not going to drink now. Just not going to drink now, maybe later, whatever. So that, that was kind of the way I could kind of brush it off. But then, you know, to your point, Chaz, like, you know, that, that whole, that whole meme of, you know, I drink to make you more interesting. I think it does go back to. I tried to, because I was definitely in situations where I could tell people were having more fun than me because they were drinking. And I was like, okay, how can I be there and also enjoy? And I think it was back to a mindfulness type of thing where I was, okay, like, I'm going to just be present here. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have great conversations. I'm going to ask a lot of questions of people. I'm going to kind of like perfect this craft of being present and this, 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 this muscle of being present, uh, versus being a partier. And that was just, that became my project, uh, in all that, no matter how boring or how exciting anything was my project, my challenge was to, how could I, how could I engage and be yeah. and, and, and enjoy that was always and that was always my challenge and i i seem to enjoy that yeah you know that's so awesome what you just said like when you had reached out to me a few weeks ago about about doing this i think i said to you and i Chaz, i don't know if this got its way to you but it just that i admired this idea of curiosity right and this idea of of diving into something and learning more about it and when we're with people like what an opportunity to learn something, right? Mm-hmm. To learn about where someone's from, what their background is, why they joined the industry that they did, why why they found themselves at the same spot as us. And that curiosity and having those conversations, they're special. And I think we're learning that now, you know, through the pandemic, the time with other people and time socializing and community building is special. And to be present there and to ask questions to not slur your words and all of those things, like what a blessing that is. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, how many times in it, I have a horrible memory as it is, but drinking at, at a work event um, didn't really help when you have these conversations with vendors or partners or clients or coworkers, and then you're blurry on them later on, you know, and, and to be present, to have those conversations and to walk away enriched by those conversations is, is really special. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, for the longest time, um, we give short shrift to that uh, serendipity, like that sort of learning by accident. Almost, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, you can sit on a sit on a plane, you know, pre-COVID or whatever. My, my mother is this like curious fiend, curiosity fiend. Like she'll go, oh, I'm, I was on this flight and I made three more Facebook friends. <laughs> and, and like, you know, she, she's at one end of the spectrum, right? But at the same time, it's like you can learn 
from whoever it is because you've got entirely different life circumstances to them. And even if you might be on a different, you know, different uh, field, you know, career trajectory, whatever it might be, there's always the opportunity to learn from someone else. So I I love that you said that. And I think, you know, just that subtle reframing, it's actually not that subtle. It's like, oh, rather than view this from a place of scarcity, I'm going to view it as from a place of abundance. Um, Here's a learning opportunity perhaps. Um, here's a way to connect with another human. Uh, I, it's really refreshing to hear you say that. So, um, yeah. you know, rubber stamp. Um, want to switch gears for a hot minute just because I, I'm, you know, looking at the side and, uh, you know, thank you so much for sh- sending us the boxes. Um, it's incredible. I, I, I think the rhubarb hibiscus mm-hmm. is my favorite. Mm-hmm. But how, who did the design? Because it is truly magnificent. You, you guys have done a great job with this, by the way. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, really. And it's it's really just uh, awesome to hear that you enjoy the drinks. Um, so this came about, I'll, I'll kind of get to the design in a quick second, but this, this whole project came about um, two, two gentlemen, Nick and Paul, started talking about kind of their relationship with alcohol. Nick had worked, um, he uh, trained at the French Culinary Institute and worked in New York for a bit as a chef and as a sous chef and chef and then came out to the Bay Area and worked in the wine industry after that. And uh, Paul spent 20 years in fine dining. He was at a restaurant um, in Shanghai running the Jean George restaurants in Shanghai. And one of his restaurants um, was awarded a Michelin star twice. And so uh, just this remarkable chef and he... (laughs) like many of us ended up kind of working in tech. He was running the food at Airbnb. And, um, you know, Paul was uh, having his first baby. Nick has two children. And they were just talking about just their relationship with alcohol, kind of the same conversation we're having right now. And they started talking about replacements for alcohol and just really realized that there wasn't really anything that replaced kind of the complexity and uniqueness of an alcohol, of a cocktail mm-hmm. that was non-alcoholic. You know, oftentimes when mocktails are made for us at restaurants or bars, they're super sweet. There's a ton of sugar. It's really just juice and soda water. And so mm-hmm. they wanted to kind of make something different. So that's when Paul started working on it. Nick brought me on a little while after, and I started looking at the strategy and the design. So I kind of headed up the branding with those guys, collectively thinking through the strategy and what we wanted to look like and stand for. And the brief for the project was European fragrance design. Mm. Um, the The idea for that kind of came through conversation with the guys and then also an art director uh, who I worked with, Michelle Schoberg. I worked with her previously in an agency and um, she's a Swedish art director and um, just had a fantastic eye for what we wanted to do. Mm. And so she kind of helped navigate the art direction and then um, we also paired up with Doug Conan, who was one of my partners for a while, and he did the branding design with mm-hmm. kind of that with kind of that brief. And so together with the two of them, we created the branding together. We um, we created the entire brand for seven thousand um, dollars, and haven't um, we've invested in kind of content and things since then. But we we really. Um, uh, just, you know, kind of through my partnership with them and just having worked with them, they really did us a solid and and very thankful for the partnership and collaboration with them. Well, it's absolutely killer. Yeah. And then, so actually, I forgot to say, we had a uh, illustrator do the botanical drawings and the bees. Oh, so cool. we worked we worked with a separate um, botanical illustrator who I found. She's based in the Czech Republic and just this amazing artist. Her name's Karina, and she we were really fortunate to have met her. Oh, that's well, cool. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I love Brand that branding. level of yeah. craft. It's so elegant, yeah. timeless. Even like you know, the, the blue is gorgeous, like the, the botanical design. I, I was just – I can't stop looking at it, to be honest. I, I'm one of those uh, d- design fiends. I, I lack any design capabilities <laughs> myself, but I have a reverence for the people that have it. So uh, – it's you know ab- mad kudos. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at one right now, and I by the way I love the I love all the flavors, but I'm gonna say my my favorites the uh, ginger orange. I had I had that in the hibiscus rhubarb last night, so or rhubarb hibiscus last night. That was really good. Um, I have a question about this whole 
business vertical of NA because um, yeah. Aaron, Aaron, I'm seeing be, just because I've gotten more interested in this as the algorithms recalibrate for me, uh, I get a lot more uh, NA ads on like Instagram, for example. Mm-hmm. And I've I've seen um, and I'm interesting your take on this. Interested on your in your take on this is I've seen a lot of stuff that kind of is trying to mimic the effects of alcohol. Uh, for example, you know what that nightcap would look like. Uh, you know, with with uh, if it's reishi mushroom, I don't know how to actually pronounce it. Yeah, different yeah. quote chill factors. There's even I saw an additive called chill the f out. Um, I'm curious, like, do you see? Is that something that Batera is interested in? Uh, that or is that a whole different kind of subsection of of this this uh, NA vertical? Yeah, kind of curious. That's a- yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the replacement of feeling a certain way is, is definitely a, a path that some brands have taken in the NA space. And uh, we've chosen not to because we feel like the product stands well enough on its own. Yeah. Um, and what we've also, um, you know, we're, we're thankful to have a lot of uh, other brands in the space that are trying to drive the same conversation that we are, yeah. which is to kind of consider your relationship with alcohol. And if, if there are times and places where you don't want to be drinking, we want to be a, an amazing alternative. So it's great to have competition in this space and more people working on it. Um, as far as kind of these, these replacements of kind of, you know, what, whether that's euphoria or, uh, you know, relaxing um, compounds or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, sometimes there are, you know, marketing things that are, are more spoken than true. And, um, you know, perhaps some people feel different ways when they consume some of these things, but sometimes it's it's a lot of marketing and, and language that's really trying to, you know, let people feel less concerned about taking a break from drinking, right? Mm-hmm. That they're that they're going to lose something by drinking. You know, Chaz, you said something earlier, like, it's amazing to think about all of the benefits, not just the disadvantages of not drinking and the things, the, oh, yeah. the amazing things that come along with it. And, um, you know, uh, for me, one of those things is just waking up less groggy in the morning and getting a workout in before the day starts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I don't do it in the morning, I'm not going to do it. And so by kind of stepping back from drinking, I'm able to do that a bit more. We, I, we've just stayed away from it. We considered CBD at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, restrictions in selling CBD still, mm. which is one of the reasons we walked away from it. But again, I think ultimately we decided that the product stood pretty well on its own. Yeah, totally. Talking about the benefits of having more energy. I have felt that not here to brag, but I've, I've lost thir- since September, I've lost 35 pounds. It's amazing. And it was just, just, and I just, you know, drinking, I think probably drinking plus maybe a little snack at night. That was probably part of it, but like. That was, that was a super big surprise. Like how much, I think it just brought me back to that. Oh my gosh. The amount of calories that alcohol can have in addition to just having calories throughout the day. Um, it's especially having it at night calories at night is even kind of worse. So, um, that, that brought me to a huge, that was a huge benefit. And then once that happened, like other things started to open up, it kind of broke this, this low energy cycle. You know, in a lot of the articles, Aaron, I was, I was noticing there's kind of this gray zone, people who are not quite, oh, I'm, I'm giving up drinking forever, but I'm, you know, I'm curious about maybe reducing, you know, they call it this gray zone. I think one article or maybe two talked about this gray zone. Do you have any like advice for any, anybody who, who kind of feel, they kind of feel like they're in the gray zone. Like they're not drinking a lot. They haven't had the burn marks of alcohol abuse, so to speak, whether it's social or physical, but they also kind of get this inkling like, Hey, you know, maybe I need to back off a little bit. Like for you, from your perspective, like what would be a, like a first, you know, step towards that sober curious? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, there's a there's a massive nuance to this this whole conversation, right? And yeah. I'm not by any means I don't feel qualified to speak to kind of a person's relationship with alcohol. But one of the things in in kind of prepping for our chat, I, I found um I found a really interesting piece on alcohol use disorder. And um 
when oftentimes when people consider if they're alcoholics or not, they're asking a question when they, they're asking one question when they perhaps should be asking another question, which is kind of where they land on this alcohol use disorder spectrum. Mm-hmm. And um, like, or, or as kind of you're referring to it, the gray area, I'd encourage anyone who, um, you know, is asking this question to kind of research where they land in the alcohol use disorder spectrum, because it's very um, specific. Uh, there's, I'm looking at it right now, there's 11 questions. And based on how many you respond to yes or no, um, they kind of put you kind of in kind of the diagnose where you land on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. Um, but, you know, as Julia Bambridge noted, um, you know, the first step is kind of asking this question and kind of being considerate about, you know, just how much you're drinking and, and what. And, you know, you heard me earlier mention that I've had drinks on 27 nights. Um, I track my drinking using an app. And um, right now I'm in the middle of a my third 30-day stretch of sobriety this year. So nice. we're having a baby like any time. And um, I don't know when you're going to release this, but right now we're still waiting. And I wanted to be sober the last 30 days before my wife had the baby. So, um, you know, uh, I it goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier, though, that, that it might be helpful for people to track it or make a goal of going seven days without a drink and then 30 days without a drink or try and dry January after a pretty wet holiday season, you know? What, um, I I use a similar app. It's called reluctant booze hound. Is that the one that you use as well? Are you serious? No, no, I'm not serious. (laughs) Sorry. That's an idea for one. If anyone wants one, I'm I'm too busy. Wait, but but honestly, sorry. What, what, What is the name of the app? It's called streaks and it's really good for kind of committing to anything. Um, I also added meditation this year and my streaks for meditation are much lower, but I can track it on, on the app. Mm. Okay. Lovely. Yeah. I've also heard, um, somebody mentioned to me cutback coach, I guess, think that's another uh, app that's directly designed for that. Um, so that, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Chess and I have talked about meditation. We haven't talked about meditation apps. We've kind of talked around it, but at some point we're going to talk about that. I think too, Uh, we've been kind of circling, um, that topic, but, um, that's great. Yeah. I think it, I think it fits for, you know, personal anecdote on that. It fits very neatly into the sober curious, uh, because I found when I was stressed, I would use meditation to kind of relieve that stress versus going to something else like I did in the past. So it does fit. It is a tool in the toolbox, so to speak, that I have found a lot of benefit from that. I'm sure you have too, Aaron. Yeah. I I need, my practice is really young and um, generally non-existent, but uh, it's something I need to turn to a little bit more. Sure. Sure. Chaz, I have a question, Chaz. And and maybe if, if you guys don't, do you mind if I ask a, one myself I know. Oh, please. Please. Yes. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about non-alcoholic um drinks and and britain this interested in kind of how how your relationship is with them um but Chaz, my sister lives in melbourne and um i'm very familiar with the drinking culture over there um what i what's seemingly happening is that in australia and in the uk um the they're a couple years ahead of us as far as non-alcoholic drinking goes and interested in kind of your thoughts on that if you've tried um many or if your family um has tried many and then britain kind of too like are you drinking non-alcoholic beer this year are you drinking like kind of what you're drinking um and if it's any of kind of the people in our space um the first part of that question it's not uh, a conversation I've had as it relates to non-alcohol um, beverages. Uh, like I, I know, you know, people close to me. I know there's been sort of just a, uh, a slowing down. Uh, perhaps it's an age thing. It's like you know, I want to be more health conscious as I get older. Uh, but and and also when I'm there, I'm only there for a, you know. A, 10 days, whatever it is, it, over the holiday season, then it is a pretty a wet kind of time of year <laughs> right. in the middle of summer. So uh, it's probably an inaccurate portrayal of the reality of the re- rest of the 12 months of the year. Uh, me personally, I, I had discovered perhaps about six months ago and then recently um, have, have gotten more into it is a brand called Athletic Brewing Company. And they make um, sort of essentially like craft non-alcoholic beers and that, you know, 
particularly the IPA and uh, particularly their, their golden. Uh, it's tremendous, right? And I think they're, they're 70 calories per, give or take. And honestly, I, like in the past when I might have been watching a game, like actually, you know, during the NBA playoffs, you know, if I, you know, game start at five, if I start drinking at five, I might have, you know, more than I would want by seven o'clock by the end of the game. So that's not mm-hmm. ideal. But I did start having a few of these, and I was like, this is tremendous. They're tasty. It's something in your hand. You don't feel sluggish at the end of the night. So, so yeah, a personal anecdote, I, I have – I've been experimenting with it. I enjoy it significantly more. I would like to see in in pubs and, and bars more available because I, I feel like you mentioned O'Doul's or, or um, you know, St. Pauli Girl. Like, occasionally, there's just not a whole lot of options historically, uh, but hopefully yeah. it's it's moving in that direction. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't really kicked the tires on NA beers yet. I actually had one at a St. Paul Saints game this this past, uh, earlier this summer. And um, I don't know, it made me feel really funny. I don't, I don't know, I felt, huh. I, I, I had a weird, yeah, I think it, it may have been, I don't want to be specific about which, which one it was. I think it was a St. Pauli girl, like you said, Chaz, like, but it made me feel really. I didn't like how I felt afterwards. It was like this weird, gluteny punch that I. I don't know. I just didn't like it. But in terms of just alternatives, uh, I've had uh, like ice cream, like probably three three out of the seven nights of the week, um, which has kind of satiated that sweet. You know, alcohol converts to sugar. That's been an, mm-hmm. that's been a, that's been a replacement, which is kind of funny. But uh, you know. Batera is like really the first of this kind that I've really started to experiment trying. I, I started to, you know, now, now that things are opening up, I went to, Aaron, you live in the Bay Area. Um, there's a place called Mr. Tipple's Recording Studio. It's a jazz club. Mm. And they do live jazz every single night. They claim they did j- live jazz every single night, even through the pandemic. Not sure how they did that, but they did. And I noticed I've gone there a few times over the years and I've noticed now their mocktail menu is a little bit more developed. And so there's a whole new craft of, you know, craft cocktails has always been a thing. And I think one of the kind of incidental benefits of that is craft mocktails. And and we're starting to see more of that. Um, So I, I, I had that. I really enjoyed that. It had like a, there was a garnish and, you know, some ginger in there. It was really good. So that's been kind of my slow kind of foyer into into the NA uh, space. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is like the, so maybe it is a little bit of like you buy that, you know, Subaru and then you start seeing a lot of Subarus around. But <laughs> <laughs> what one thing that I've noticed is that um, the, the options are getting better and better. Like Chaz, the athletic brewing that you're talking about, it's just so much better than kind of where the duels and, oh, and others were. And we're seeing um, just some, you know, competition that I, I enjoy myself. Like I drink, um, there's a, there's a alcohol free uh, cafe. It's called ocean beach cafe in San Francisco. And um, all they sell are kind of non-alcoholic options. And then we have partnerships with some online retailers and some other stores around the country. There's like four non-alcoholic spirits drink stores in Manhattan right now. And mm. it's just massively growing. And, and whether it's a spirit or an alcohol removed wine or, or non-alcoholic beer, there's a lot of options out there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear kind of what you guys are having. I'm seeing that too, the, the rise of, uh, mocktail bars, you know, because I think, I think for so long we've coupled together the, the alcohol with the social, you know, so social interaction is healthy, right? But we've, we've kind of wrapped it in potentially a taken too far, an unhealthy behavior with, you know, excessive drinking. And what I think what's really interesting is a lot of these mocktail bars are saying, Hey, you know, no, we, we think community socialization is healthy, but we can do it in a way that doesn't have the overarching, albeit even temptation of having or obligation for depending on who you are of, yeah. of alcohol. And I think that's really interesting there. I, I know in San Francisco, that's slowly coming. I know, I know some in New York city as well, Los Angeles. So who knows where though, where that's going to go, but I think that's really interesting to see. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to something you were saying earlier, Chaz, about kind of this idea of like maybe, well, 
like kind of this idea of like if you're watching a game and you're drinking all the way through it now with athletic brewing or these some of these better non-alcoholic options you have kind of this ability to like skip around if you will and so mm. one of the things that we talk about at Batera is you know and this is kind of how my relationship is with alcohol right now actually as i go out if i'll go out and i'll have like a cocktail and then the rest of the night i'll have a non-alcoholic beer or i'll have a a nice mocktail if you will like or a non-alcoholic cocktail we we don't really use the word mocktail i think you're starting to see kind of less and less of it Hmm. but like what i'll do is i'll have like a drink or two and then the rest of the night i'll switch over to a non-alcoholic option and i could see that being kind of my relationship with alcohol as things open up a little bit more and stuff um is just kind of maybe having a drink and then moving over to something that's that's just going to keep me there, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like re- replacing the, the quote-unquote session lager, right? right. I, I remember like years ago, I remember seeing a friend, he, he like he, we were out, you know, I was at some event and he was asking for a water. I remember, you know, I was like 21 or something. I was like, oh, you know, you're cheating a bit early, mate. And he said, uh, he goes, no, no, you have one. Uh, one glass of water every five drinks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a hangover hang. And, like, he may as well have told me he just discovered the cure for cancer. I'm like, oh, there's a revelation. I'm right. going to start doing So, uh, but I think it's a, it's a savvy approach. I think it's it comes back to the mindfulness piece of it. It's like I'm not going to be out of control. It's not going to control me. I'm going to control it. And I think making that choice is um, it's really going to benefit benefit everyone, frankly. So I'm curious if there's any, any suggested resources or readings, Aaron, that you would, that you'd want to recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are, you know, it, whether it's, um, whether it's kind of wondering where you might land on the alcohol use disorder spectrum, mm-hmm. um, uh, just Googling that and checking that yeah. out. The yeah. article that we all went back to a couple of times is called America has a drinking problem and it's from the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I, I think if you're interested in kind of non-alcoholic um, beverage options, uh, a couple stores that I would recommend are Ocean Beach Cafe in San Francisco, Boisson in New York City, Dry Goods Drinks, which is online, or Spirited Away, which is online, and they have um, just an amazing selection of stuff. That's cool. Um, I'm curious, have you, and I've been meaning to read this in preparation for this, but I haven't yet, Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. Have you read it? Yeah, so I read it uh, a couple years ago, and Ruby Ruby uh, kind of coined the term "sober curious," and uh, she wrote a book about it. I think uh, came out about six or seven years ago now, maybe less. And she also has a podcast um, where she talks uh, with others about the subject. I just want to say thanks, thanks for joining us, Aaron. It's been tremendous. I, I love what you're doing. It seems like a very sort of enlightened approach. It, you know, it's a it's a great business enterprise. It seems it's a great idea for the world. It's raising you know the cultural consciousness around a more mindful and deliberate approach to to alcohol consumption. So, I think you're doing a killer job, and wish you uh, best of luck. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. I. I have one last thing to add. I forgot to add. We yeah. did an offer code for the podcast. So if you just enter Curious15, uh, you'll save 15% off your first purchase from drinkbatera.com, which is B-E-T-E-R-A, drinkbatera.com. Okay. Awesome. I had to get my plug in. I'd, I'd, be a bad mar- I'd be a bad marketer if I didn't do that, right, guys? <laughs> but Aaron, yeah, thank, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to lay this out for us to have this conversation. It was really great. Yeah. Thanks for doing this guys. Like I, it's, it's really, I, I've really enjoyed listening to the pods or, you know, just since in preparation for this and I really enjoy them. So, um, thanks for having me. Yeah. And if you ever have any other, um, suggestions on, you know, what we want to cover, you can always come back. We can always chat about something else. So that that's an open invitation. Oh, cool. I, yeah. I, I would, I would not try and, uh, you know, step on Chase's toes by any means. Like he's, <laughs> Um, and I'll thank him again for showing us, but, but thank you. No, yeah, step away. He, he invites it. He, he's like the more the merrier, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's that kind of guy. Yeah. He's a yeah. good dude. <laughs> yeah, he is. Awesome. Well, th- thanks Aaron. Well, keep in touch. Cool guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, thanks Aaron. Cheers. Cheers. Bye guys. Yeah. Have a nice night. Yeah, yeah you too. Thank you to Aaron Sanchez for joining us this week on the Furious Curious. Uh, If you want a chance to win a case of Batera, step one, like a Furious Curious post on Instagram. Step two, tag a friend. Step three, 
follow at Drink Patera on Instagram. That is at Drink B E T E R A. That's Drink Patera. Uh, they ship to the lower 48 states of the U.S. Sorry to everybody else around the world. We will get to you some point. We promise. You are listening to the Furious Curious podcast hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, and my esteemed colleague here, Charlie Quark, here from San Francisco, California. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious. We welcome your comments, your insults, your constructive feedback, and of course, compliments on our general good looks. Until next week, stay curious. Out. Out.